Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you with us on this Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. At least that is the date that this is being recorded and uploaded. So the last month or so, there haven't been that many shows. And that hasn't been because I haven't wanted to do a Doug Russell Podcast. But every once in a while, and this has happened a few times, you just get busy with other stuff, including... My new podcast, Tales from 1265, Uh, we've got an excerpt of that coming up in just a few minutes from Episode 3, the fall of 12 to 24. Uh, Also, in the last month or so, I've been mostly in Madison with the Wisconsin Badgers football team, Luke Fickle, in his first spring camp. And this is a team that looks pretty good right now. There's a lot of new faces, and if you are interested in that, I did a month's worth of Camp Confidential shows and podcasts uh the shows aired in madison on fox sports 1070 the game uh, but they are also available for you on podcasts uh, in podcast form uh, wherever you get your podcasts but also on the iheart radio that's where it's hosted on the iheart radio app so feel free to check that out uh, again it's called camp confidential and it's been the podcast that i've been spending the most time with over the course of the last month so it all kind of culminated last week with their final spring practice before that it was the launch which was the uh, the spring game if you will some observations from the spring game number one i was hoping for better weather because i was hoping as i'm sure the university was for maybe a little bit of a bigger crowd Uh, about twenty-two thousand tickets were out now the tickets were free but about twenty-two thousand tickets were out the weather was terrible by the way so about ten thousand Hardy Wisconsin Badgers fans showed up at Camp Randall Stadium on April 22nd. It wasn't the greatest showing from your new quarterback, Tanner Mordecai, through four interceptions. Uh, One of them was not his fault, but a couple of other ones were. Uh, But he also rebounded with a couple of decent practices on Tuesday and Thursday. Those were his final spring practices of the year, his only season with the Wisconsin Badgers. What we have found out about the Wisconsin Badgers uh, again, if you want to check out Camp Confidential, the uh, daily interviews with Ben Wargle from Badger Blitz, we also hear regularly from head coach Luke Fickle, some of his assistants, some of his players as well, had a chance to talk to Braylon Allen, among others. So this is going to be a team that does throw the ball more than any Wisconsin football team that you've ever seen. And I would say possibly with the uh, exception of the 2011 team, which was quarterbacked by Russell Wilson, I still think that this team is going to throw more than that team. And Tanner Mordecai, granted, had a had a rough week. His second-to-last week of spring ball, not his best showing, but everybody has bad weeks. You hope that you can just kind of flush that out in spring ball, and it's not going to rear its ugly head when the regular season rolls around. But, look, we're still talking about young football players. And Tanner Mordecai is the. I, I'm. This is the statement that I will say, and I believe it to be true in its entirety because I feel like I'm looking at an NFL quarterback when I see him play. I've been around the NFL for a long time. I've covered a lot of Packers teams. Covered the Bears for a number of years when I was in Chicago. Covered the Houston Texans. I've been around football. I've been around NFL quarterbacks. Tanner Mordecai carries himself and looks like an NFL quarterback. Tanner Mordecai is the best Wisconsin Badgers quarterback since Russell Wilson, 
and has the ability and I believe the weapons to put up bigger numbers than Russell Wilson did when he was a Badger. Now, that doesn't mean that Tanner Mordecai is going to go on and have the same NFL success that Russell Wilson did. Can't tell at this stage of the game uh, for any college player. You know, We'll talk about the NFL draft here in a second. The uh, Packers and the rest of the NFL, the 31 other teams, just went through the draft, and how good are these players going to be? I, I, I don't know. Neither do you. Neither does anybody. It is a bit of a crapshoot. It also plays into this week's episode of Tales from 1265, where Aaron Rodgers fell to number 24, and I'm sure if the San Francisco 49ers would like would have that back, they would certainly like to uh, do that, exactly. But Tanner Mordecai is a player who's going to have better weapons than any other quarterback in program history. C.J. Williams is an absolute stud. He is the highest-rated wide receiver that's ever come in to the Badgers program, and he's a first-year transfer out of USC. So he's going to be on one bookend. Uh, we saw Will Pauling this spring. He's going to be your slot receiver, and he came up with amazing catch after amazing catch all throughout spring. And then there are the holdovers as well, whether it's a Skylar Bell, whether it's a Chimray DK. And then there's also, don't forget, Braylon Allen and Chesma Lucy in the offensive backfield behind Mordecai. They're going to put up a lot of points. I think this defense is talented, but they're young. The best player on defense was the guy who picked off Tanner Mordecai three times in the spring game, and that's Ricardo Hallman, who had really, he was just a playmaker all over the field. And I know that he struggled last year against the Michigan State Spartans, lost his starting job. Uh, Jalen Reed was a big part of that, one of the newest members of the Green Bay Packers. But Ricardo Holman then bounced back. He started the bowl game uh, for Wisconsin, and he was the defensive player of spring ball. So that's where I spent most of my April, in Madison, with the Badgers, both inside the McLean Center and out at Camp Randall Stadium. It's a lot more fun, by the way, watching practice at Camp Randall than it is inside the McLean Center. It's a lot rumor. You can spread out a little bit more, and it's just nice to be outside when the air is fresh and not as... We'll go with crisp as it's been over the last uh, week or so, but that's where, again, I've spent a lot of my time. Now, if I haven't been in Madison, I've probably been at Pfizer Forum, but that didn't last very long. Now, did it as the Bucks flamed out? We've got some thoughts about that coming up in just a couple minutes. And again, this past weekend at the Packers draft, I, I love how everyone who is a draft prognosticator gives all of these teams a grade, we don't know how good these players are going to be for at least a couple of years. The old conventional wisdom was you can't grade an NFL draft until three years out. I don't know that it takes three years anymore, but at least give it one, maybe one and a half, maybe two. Uh, After two years, I think you've got a pretty good idea of how good a draft was. And Some players are going to be better fits than others. Every once in a while, you're going to find a late-round gem, and every once in a while, you're going to have a first-round flameout. And right now, the Packers are in a position where they can't afford to have first-round flameouts because that's how they're going to build this team. And they also, because of the salary cap situation that they put themselves in, which I would have done as well, and we'll get to the Aaron Rodgers deal in a second, but... When you go all in for a guy and you kick that can down the road, eventually the bill is going to come due. It's just like a credit card. If you have a credit card and there's this one purchase 
that you have one opportunity and only one opportunity to get, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to put it on the card and I'll pay it down the road, but I have to have this one thing. Well, that was Aaron Rodgers for the last couple of years. The Packers had the reigning MVP in back-to-back seasons. And there was a thought that with their improved defense a year ago that this was a Super Bowl-caliber team. It didn't turn out to be the case. The Packers lost six in a row. I think a lot of that had to do with that disastrous trip that they had to London where they had the lead October 9th, had the lead at halftime. Second half, everything just kind of fell apart. Aaron heaves one on the last play of the game, bangs his thumb against a New York Giants helmet, breaks his thumb, and was never the same the rest of the season. So you had to do that, though, if you're the Packers. You don't like the result, but you've got to roll the dice. Again, we'll get to Aaron in just a moment, but speaking of Aaron, he is the subject of this week's now, it's every other week, but this week's the latest edition of 12, uh, Tales from 1265. We'll have an excerpt of that coming up in just a few minutes. All right, let's start with the Aaron Rodgers trade. Uh, he goes to the New York Jets, and in essence, and I said this all along, the Packers had the leverage, and they used it, and they held out to get what they wanted to get. Did they get a guaranteed first-rounder and a guaranteed second-rounder? No, they did not. But they got a probable first-rounder. So the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers for, in essence, now they swap from 13 to 15, and they swap picks later on in the draft. Uh, They moved down, the Jets moved up, whatever. That's fine. That'll come out in the wash. I don't even worry about that. But... They trade the four-time NFL MVP to a team that is closer than the Packers are and a team that's drafted really, really well over the last several years. I don't think the Jets are that far off, and Aaron Rodgers instantly gives them not only credibility, but he makes them a contender. There's no question about that. A healthy Aaron Rodgers is still one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, I believe. But the relationship between Green Bay and its quarterback had you know, it had reached it had reached the end, right? I think everybody in Green Bay and everybody around the state of Wisconsin is kind of comfortable with the fact that, okay, he was a great player. We love him for what he did. But if you can get an asset for him before he completely disintegrates as a football player, let's go ahead and do that. I'm not saying that he's ready to disintegrate as an NFL player. I think maybe he just needed, uh, I don't know, a change of scenery perhaps. Maybe he needed a team that was a little bit closer. Maybe he needed to to a Super Bowl championship. Maybe he needed just a rejuvenation of his career. I, I don't know. It's it's hard to get inside Aaron Rodgers' head, and I'm not going to try to do that. But with the salary cap situation that the, the Packers are in, what they did, I think most importantly, as they kind of gear up for the future, because Devontae Adams not walking through that door anytime soon. And we saw how much Aaron struggled without that top wide receiver at the beginning of last season. So it's time to rebuild in Green Bay. So the Packers trade the three-year $150 million extension that Aaron signed in 2022. That featured a $40.8 million signing bonus and guaranteed option bonuses of $58.3 million this coming season and $47 million in 2024 to the Jets. 
But because the Packers unloaded some $105 million in future earnings to New York, that doesn't mean that they're off the hook from a salary cap standpoint. Now, what Rodgers counts against the cap this year actually went up, which is okay, but we'll get to that. It went up from $31.6 million to $40.3 million, and the amount the Packers at the time were under the salary cap went down from $22 million to $12.6 million. How did this all happen? When a player is traded or released before June 1st, all of the salary cap charges that have been pushed off become due. It's like a balloon payment. And when you get rid of that capital, it's think of it as a capital gains almost. You push it off, you push it off, you push it off, but that player's no longer there. So now that bill is due. In Aaron Rodgers' case, the Packers, and every team in the NFL does this, or at least the good teams in the NFL do this, they took advantage of rules that allowed them to lower the salary cap number at the time by kicking that can down the road. For instance, the $40.3 million signing bonus that he got in 2022, that was split up over five years for salary cap purposes. Four of those years remain at a cost of 32 points. I know there's a lot of numbers, and I apologize. Four of those years remained at $32.64 million in salary cap charges. Okay, so where did that extra $7.67 million come from? Those are the charges that were still in place from the Packers kicking the can down the road years earlier in a different contract. You add it all up, what do the Packers do as far as salary cap dollars? $40.3 million for a guy who's no longer on the team. That is not all for the Green Bay Packers. There are other players, Adrian Amos, Dean Lowry, Jaron Reed, Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis. You add all of those salary cap charges in dead money up, and it's over $57 million in dead cap money that the Packers are on the hook for. Now you know why... Brian Gutekunst tried to get as many draft choices as he got. Now you know why, when you look at prognosticators saying, how are the Packers going to be in 2023, eh, doesn't look very optimistic. And I agree, it doesn't look very optimistic. But, and this is important, if you believe that Aaron Rodgers needed to be traded, this is the result of that. If you believe in what Brian Gutekunst is doing as the general manager, I, and I do, I, I believed in what he did to try to keep Aaron Rodgers. I believe in what he did to try to surround Aaron with the players that he felt comfortable with, that he thought he could go out there and win a championship with. When you're close to winning a championship, you go for it. You push those chips into the middle of the table, which is a phrase that I've probably said a billion times over the last 15 years. But that's, in essence, what you're doing. You're, you're all in. We're going to try to win that trophy. Because at the end of the day, the trophy is the most important thing. That's why you play. That's why you have a franchise. That's why those championship teams are forever celebrated. That's why you hang a banner. And in Green Bay, you only hang banners for NFL championships. And there are 13 of them. Four Super Bowls and then the nine championships that were won prior to the Super Bowl era. The Packers were close. 
The Packers have been close. You win 13 games in the regular season, you go to the NFC Championship game, you are close. By definition, you are close. And it just didn't work out. I think part of that was Devontae Adams saying that he wanted out. That was a huge part of it. And if you want to be mad at Devontae for that, okay. He saw an opportunity to go on, and it didn't work out for Devontae either. But he saw an opportunity to move on and play with his college quarterback and one of his closest friends in Derek Carr in Las Vegas. They had a miserable run, and Derek Carr got benched and then ultimately released. Now, Devontae Adams is, what, what, huh? what happened here? So it didn't work out for him. He got paid. The Packers were willing to offer him more money to stay in Green Bay and further kick that can down the road to try to win a championship. That's what championship front offices do. And it was the right thing to do. And I applaud Brian Gutekunds for doing it. I also applaud him for trading Aaron Rodgers and getting as much back in return as he did. But that having been said, I don't think this team, at least as far as wins and losses, are going to be that good this year. I have always said, And I will maintain this for as long as I have a voice. If my team has a chance to go for it, then damn it, go for it. If my team is close enough to, and you're not always that close. You're not always in a position to go for it. You're not always, like this year, the Packers are not in a a position to go for it. Not financially, not with player personnel. They're not there yet, so they shouldn't do it. They're not going to sign any free agents, partially because they don't have any money to sign any free agents. But they need to save their powder for when, and the hope is, that Jordan Love gets better and that his young wide receivers grow into great NFL players together. That's the hope. That's why you invest in scouting. That's why you do all the things that the Green Bay Packers and all the other teams, no, most of the other NFL teams do. But when you're close, you have to go for it. When you have the opportunity to win a championship, you owe it to your fans, the paying customers, the ones that invest in the jerseys and the hats and the tickets and listening to the games on the radio and watching them on television and buying decals for your car and the the fans who make shrines in their basement. That's who you owe it to, to go for it when you can. Packers did that. It just didn't work. But I applaud them for trying. It's better than what the Bucks were doing 15 years ago when Herb Cole was, oh, well, we got to the playoffs, we're the eighth seed in the playoffs, and then we got our asses handed to us in four games in the first round, but gosh darn it, we made it to the playoffs. That's crap. That is a loser's mentality. The Bucs were never in that position. Now they're in that position. Didn't work out. We'll get to that in a second. So what the end result is for Aaron Rodgers was that now he's a member of the New York Jets, and he seems happier about it, but he also just can't help himself by taking swipes at the Packers on the way out of town. Now he's saying all the right things. It was a great 18 years. And from my perspective, it was a great 18 years. 15 is the starter. On 97.3, the game, we celebrated Aaron Rodgers for 12 hours. 12 hours for 12 this past Sunday. 
I hosted 12 hours of Aaron Rodgers' greatest games. Wayne Larravee for 12 hours straight, which... I tell you what, it doesn't get much better for a Packers fan than 12 straight hours of Wayne Larrabee calling Packers incredible wins. And I got to host that. I celebrate Aaron Rodgers and everything that he did. Tales from 1265 celebrates Aaron Rodgers and how he came to Green Bay in the first place. But, damn it, I am not going to miss his non-answer answers. And I'm not going to miss his obfuscations. And I'm not going to miss his misdirections. So, Matt Schneidman from The Athletic, great writer. We're fortunate to have him covering the Packers. He traveled to New Jersey, where the Jets have their facility, and he was there for Aaron Rodgers' introductory presser as a member of the New York Jets. And there's been this back and forth between, well, did the Packers want Aaron Rodgers back? Did Aaron Rodgers not want to come back? Did he want to retire? Aaron Rodgers said he felt like he was betrayed by the team. He also said that, oh, look, I, I went into my darkness retreat, and I thought that I was going to retire, and but I also thought that the decision was mine, and the door was open, and then I came out, and people were telling blah, 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 blah. So Matt Schneidman asked Aaron Rodgers, hey, what what really happened? Did they not try to communicate with you at all? Because Brian Gutekunst a couple days ago said, yeah, we, we tried to communicate with him, but we didn't get any answers. Hey, well, first of all, here's Brian Gutekunst. This is what he said after the news of the trade had broken, but before it became official. Yeah, I think I think where our team is at, obviously Aaron's uh, you know up there in age and has, you know, yeah, I don't know, however many years he has. I think he's got some really good football left in him. But uh, I think for us, it was just uh, as we got through the offseason and started talking about where we wanted to go, um, this made a little bit of sense for us. We wanted to get his input, like I've told you guys in, in the past, and would have loved to have that and kind of see where he sat with that. Um, that didn't happen. That was a little bit unfortunate and disappointing for me. But at the same time, um, I just think, you know, as we move forward, um, you know, uh, we're really excited where Jordan can go. He needs to play. And uh, having him sit another year, I think, um, would really delayed kind of, you know, where we're going and what we're trying to build. We talked about not getting the input from Aaron that you wanted. If y'all had a conversation, do you think this could have ended differently? Yeah, that, that's hypothetical. I, I, who knows? I think, like I said, um, but um, you know, would have liked to have it. Didn't have it happen, so it, it kind of is what it is. All right, that was Brian Gutekunst last week Monday. It was supposed to be a pre-draft media availability. It turned into him talking about the trade that wasn't yet officially officially been agreed to. It had just been reported on minutes prior by Adam Schefter. Um, so. He, Brian Gutekunst knew that he was going to be asked about it, and he did the best that he could, even though the NFL hadn't signed off on it. I think it was just a matter of Aaron passing his physical. Whatever. It all became official. We all knew it was going to become official. The next day, Matt Schneiben from The Athletic, he is in New Jersey for Aaron Rodgers' introductory news conference, and he asked Aaron about what Goody had just said the day before. Uh, Matt Schneiben, The Athletic. Hi, Matt. Hi, Aaron. Um, so you obviously said with Pat and AJ that you would have liked more direct communication about moving on from you. Then Brian comes out and says, we tried to, he just didn't respond. How, what actually happened this offseason between the two sides that led us to where we are now? Well, I mean, I don't know if I need to really get into the specifics. Um, I will say people that know me, uh, I'm fortunate to live in a, in a beautiful house. The only downside is I have very limited cell service. So if you want to get a hold of me, I have to see your face. you got to FaceTime me. Uh, so the only response to, to the communication thing is 
there's you know records in your phone about who called you, when, FaceTime, and there wasn't any specific FaceTimes from any of those numbers that I was looking at. Um, that's neither here nor there because we're now we're at this position. Um, obviously, that's somehow you know what uh, the direction they wanted to go as far as they couldn't the story they couldn't get a hold of me, which led for this to, to be the case. My point was if if there was a change that wanted to be made, uh, why wasn't that told to me early in the off season? Now, obviously, my future was undecided at that time. I didn't know if I wanted to keep playing. I wanted to go into my darkness retreat and and sit with it and contemplate. Um, but when I came out, it was evident that uh, it was uh, retire or move on to a new team. Bullshit. I am calling bullshit. Sorry, Aaron. I d- that, is, that is the equivalent of my dog ate my homework. That is the equivalent of well, I don't know, you know, I don't know, officer. I didn't see the I didn't see the sign that said fifty five miles an hour. That's why I was going one hundred and twelve. Aaron, come on. There aren't many more slappies in the state of Wisconsin bigger than me. Okay, when it comes to celebrating you for what you have done on the field, again, twelve hours for twelve. I hosted it. It was kind of me and Tim Scott's idea of of putting something together for you. But come on. I I didn't have FaceTime and they couldn't get a hold of me. Bullshit. I am red challenge flag bullshit. Um, Not surprisingly, the next day, Brian Gutekunst was asked to clarify. And I think... I, I used the word that he wanted to use that he didn't feel like he could use because he represents the Packers and he's the general manager and it wouldn't do anybody any good for him to call bullshit like I did. Did you try to FaceTime him? Um, let's, uh, let's move on from that. I think uh, certainly we tried to communicate, um, but I don't really know what to say to that. But, um, you know, um, we wish him well. I'm glad that it's finalized. And um, we're kind of moving forward. Okay, so that was his response. Not surprisingly, though, there was a follow-up by Jason Wildey, who I give all the credit in the world. I've known Jason for a long time. He is not afraid to go there, and he is not afraid to follow up with harder questions. So here's here's Jason's follow-up. Yeah, I, I, I understand that, but he did go out there and say that today. Mm-hmm. And part of your conversation in Arizona with these guys was about how he was uncommunicative. So... I know you don't want to discuss it, but at the same time, it is part of the narrative on why he's not here, right? I mean, if you'd have had the conversations, who knows if something would have been different. So to what degree did you try to communicate with him? And were you aware that he had cell phone reception issues in Malibu? Yeah. Yes. Um, we're not going to get in those details. Just I understand the question. And, um, you know, we, we try to communicate on a number of levels. Um, once we couldn't, we communicate with his agents quite a bit. So... Um, you know, we're not, I'm not going to get into that. I think that's, uh, um, it's not good for us, not good for them. And we're going to just kind of move forward, but, um, I appreciate the question, but, uh, there was no lack of effort and communication on that, that part from us. Um, but, um, you know, I think this is a good day for the Packers, good day for the Jets and, um, any questions about the trade? I'm happy to answer. All right. So enough of that. Aaron Rodgers, um, a great player and, you know, beyond that, I, I I wish him well with the Jets. I truly do. Uh, I I hope he has success there, 
and he gave Packers fans a wild ride for 15 years, and, and God bless him for it. And I have no ill will to Aaron Rodgers as he goes and, and moves on to the sunset of his career with the New York Jets. But there are certain things I'm not going to miss. And you didn't FaceTime me. That's probably going to, at least for now, be at the top of the list until he comes back and gets number 12 retired um, at Lambeau Field, which he deserves, which he's earned. He will go in by himself. He's one of those rare inst- rare players that, like Brett Favre did, you will go into the Packers Hall of Fame as a class of one because you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame as a class of one. And in five years, you'll get your gold jacket, you'll get your bust in Canton, and you will take your place, or I don't know, not five years, but five years after he gets done playing, whenever that is, uh, he will get his bust in Canton because that's where he deserves to be. He will take his rightful place in pro football shrine as one of the greatest players of all time. But I will not miss my dog ate my homework. I will not miss, well, you didn't FaceTime me. I will not miss any of that at, at all. So I wish you well, Aaron. I truly, truly do. Nothing but happiness and success. But you didn't FaceTime me. Come on. It's the greatest story in sports. Star dropping straight back. Hit as he throws. Has the ball. It is the I'm Doug Russell, and this is Tales from 1265, an insider's look at football's most storied franchise, a franchise that has had its dynasties. This is the first Super Bowl trophy, and uh, it's something Green Bay can keep. We're going to have a, a new trophy each year. And its rebirths. Every major football decision will be made by Ron Wolf. I realize I'm a Green Bay Packer now, and maybe I can prove that I am worth the first-round pick next year, but just got to be patient. But I was really impressed with the coaching staff, with the whole organization, and with the direction the team is going. I think they, they have a total commitment to winning. Tales from 1265 is presented by Nicolay Law, your local award-winning injury lawyers. If you've been injured, get Nicolay, Wisconsin's winning team of lawyers that will get you back in the game. Tales from 1265 is a production of iHeartRadio Podcasts and is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Moving on, really disappointed in the way that the Bucks season ended this year. And this was a team that I think we all saw that was built to win a championship now. It was going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about the Packers. The Packers in the last couple of years, they were poised to win a championship. So that's why they went for it. And the Bucks have gone for it as well. I credit John Horst with the roster that he has built. This was the oldest team in the NBA this past year. And this was a team that went in and at the end of the year brought in some veterans. Brought in Jay Crowder, brought in Goran Dragic, uh, uh, brought in Myers Leonard. And this was a team that you thought was going to have a deep run in it. And when he brought in Jay Crowder, there was a little bit of toughness that was brought in from the former Marquette star. You had hoped for health for Chris Middleton, who had a sprained knee last year. And in my mind, that's the only thing that prevented the Bucks from winning back-to-back NBA championships because they took the, even without Middleton, took the Boston Celtics to seven games in the second round. Giannis gets hurt in Game 1, but the Bucks were playing poorly in Game 1 even with Giannis. And then he sits out Game 2, the Bucks rebound, they get a win, and then they drop a couple and they come back to Milwaukee with their backs against the walls. And collectively, they just failed. And I don't know how you can look at it any other way. Love Giannis, and you want him to 
be hungry. You want him to be energized. You want him to feel like you've got his back. And I do have Giannis's back. And, and I, I know the fans have Giannis's back. But he was asked, well, first I want to hear from Mike Budenholzer because he was in the media room first. And Eric Name from The Athletic asked this question of Mike Budenholzer. Um, do you view this season as a failure? Um, you know, I respect the question. I understand the question. Uh, this team has incredibly high expectations. Uh, John Horse has put together an amazing roster. The ownership's done what they're supposed to do. Um, we made a push. Uh, we were the number one seed. But all that matters is the playoffs. And so um, I think we're just disappointed. I would not use that word. Um, we're disappointed. We're frustrated. It hurts. Um, but I've said it all year. Uh, we love this team. We love these guys. I believe in them. We believe in them. Uh, we didn't get it done tonight. Uh, you know, so, but I just, you know, to me, disappointed, hurt, frustrated. Um, and I think is more characteristic of how we feel about, uh, you know, tonight. Tough question, but a fair question, I thought. And one of the things that we didn't know about Mike Budenholzer is that he was going through a family tragedy. Uh, apparently his brother had died in a car accident prior to this game or prior to one of the games in the series. So maybe his mind wasn't fully there. And I know the fans have been screaming about replacing Mike Budenholzer as coach. That may or may not happen. I, I do think there are going to be some pretty seismic changes that happen with this Bucks team moving forward. If you want to create another championship caliber team for as long as you have one of the best players in the world in Giannis Adetokounmpo, then that's incumbent upon the, the, the organization. That's incumbent upon the franchise to do that. And John Horst has done a really good job of putting together championship caliber players to surround Giannis Adetokounmpo while you have this once-in-a-lifetime asset. And that's what Giannis is. The Bucks are only really one superstar player away, he wears number 34, away from being as irrelevant as they were 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. So I, I did appreciate that answer from Mike Budenholzer. It was well thought out. And no matter how you think about Mike Budenholzer, your heart goes out to him uh, for his family tragedy. And he, your heart kind of goes out to the fact that he's struggling with this loss as well. He looked like he had aged 20 years in the last 20 days. But it was about 10 days of really terrible basketball that the Bucks played on so many different levels. Um, Giannis could have guarded Jimmy Butler, or at least somebody else could have guarded Jimmy Butler because Drew Holiday, who's a great defender, it wasn't working. So sometimes you've got to shuffle the deck a little bit. Even when you have a great player defending another great player, if, in this case, Butler gets the best of Holiday, maybe you consider making a switch. And I don't think that Mike Budenholzer was adept at that. Uh, in Game 5, using your challenge three and a half minutes into the game was stupid. You never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, ever challenge a call that early in the game. Well, but it was it was Giannis' second foul. I don't care. I don't care if it was Giannis, unless it was his sixth foul three and a half minutes into the game. Well, then you got other problems. You look at the way that Eric Spolster used his challenge. It's better to pocket it than to waste it. 
You waste it early on in the game. You don't have it if you really, really need it later on. That's what Eric Spelstra, he, he was very content to not have to use it if he didn't have to use it. But with three seconds left in Game 5, he felt like he had to use it, and he had it. He won. He won the challenge, and that game goes into overtime because they get the ball back because Jimmy Butler hits a shot out of his ass. But that's how you use a challenge, not how Budenholzer uses it in the first damn quarter. That having been said, that's not why entirely why the Bucks lost the series. That's a big reason about why they lost that game, because Spolster had a timeout and, and had a, a challenge that the Bucks didn't, but he would have still had the challenge. But, you know, it, it played a role, but that's not why the Bucks lost the series. They, played the, they lost the series because they played like crap. They lost the series because they played like crap. That's that's why. It wasn't because of the timeout or because of the dumb challenge. It was a dumb challenge, but that's, again, just one of the things that you can pick on. All right, just a couple moments after Mike Budenholzer left the room, Giannis comes in, and Eric Name from The Athletic, the aforementioned Eric Name, Do you asked you this the same question of Giannis. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, because I'm not that up. You asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay, uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right. So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. You know, and if you've never, I don't, know, I don't want, to, I don't want to make it personal. So, there's always steps to it. You know, um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sport is about. You don't always win. Some other other people's gonna win. And this year, somebody else is gonna win. Similar as that. We're gonna come back next year. Try to be better. Try to build good habits. Try to um, play better. Not have a 10-day stretch with uh, playing bad basketball. You know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failures. No, it was not. It was steps to it, you know, and we were able to win one. Hopefully we can win another one. You know, I, sorry that I didn't want to make it personal because you asked me the same question last year, and I, last year I was in the, in the uh, right um, mind space to answer the question back, but I remember it. Next. Yeah, the season, though, was a failure. You are judged by what happens in the playoffs. Yeah, the Bucks won 58 games during the regular season. But, yeah, this season was a failure. And many of those seasons, Giannis, one of the things that he said was the Bucks didn't win. And, you know, it's factually right. Bucks didn't win a, an NBA championship between 1971 and 2001. That's 50 years. Was that a failure? Well, a lot of those seasons were. <laughs> Sorry, yes. A lot of those seasons were failures. When the Bucks won 15 games in his rookie season, was that season a failure? Yep, sure was. When the Bucks quit on Larry Kristoviak, was that a failure? Yep, sure was. When the Bucks were awful for about 30 years in a row, were those seasons failures? Yep, pretty much. They kind of were. 
Now, there are some seasons that have deep playoff runs that there are incremental steps. And Giannis talked about the steps a lot. The Bucks took a step back this year. When they were grinding toward their NBA championship one, now two seasons ago, they were making incremental steps. You get past the, it took them forever to get past the first round of the playoffs. Well, then they finally did that in 2019. And then in 2020 was the bubble, and that was kind of weird for everybody. So you you kind of understood. But then in 2021, those steps had been taken. Those incremental steps of getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer, they were getting. Even though in the bubble they, you know, didn't get past Miami down there, and they went to the NBA or the Eastern Conference Finals the year prior, there were still steps that you could say were legitimately being taken. Even. You know, when they couldn't get past the Heat in 2020 and they couldn't get past the Raptors the year prior to that. And then they won it all in 2021. This was a step back. Any way you look at it, it's a, it, it's was this season a failure? Giannis, I'm sorry. I disagree with you. Love you. Best player, arguably, in Bucks history. Best athlete that has spent... A decade or more in Wisconsin. He's in the upper echelon. He's on the Mount Rushmore. What are we talking about here? We're talking about, you know, we talked about Aaron Rodgers earlier, Hank Aaron, Kareem. Had some great athletes here. And Giannis has put himself into that pantheon, but he's wrong. This season was a failure. There were steps taken the wrong in the wrong direction. You want to keep going up, you don't want to keep going down. And that's what happened. And I don't even blame them for what happened last year because, again, the sprained knee from uh, Chris Middleton. And they pushed the Celtics. So you understood that. This was this left everybody with an empty feeling. And free summers. Everybody gets a free summer now that covers the Bucks and that, that roots for the Bucks and that plays for the Bucks. You don't want that free summer, though. And the Bucks don't have any room to go out and get anybody else because they were built for the now. That's what you have to do. But... My fear for the Bucs is that when Giannis leaves, this team is going to be struggling for a while. But that's why you have to strike while the iron is hot. And this season, with 58 wins, more wins than anybody else in the regular season, the iron was hot. It was right there for the taking, and the Bucs couldn't take it. All right, we wrap up with the latest edition of Tales from 1265. Here is a short excerpt of the fall of 12 to 24. It was 18 years ago that Aaron Rodgers slipped from potentially being the first overall draft choice selected by the San Francisco 49ers. Spent four and a half hours in the green room at the Javits Center in New York City as the only player left with the cameras boring down on him. And it was the most uncomfortable four and a half hours of Aaron Rodgers' life. So I made a podcast about it, and I also talked to the great Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press-Gazette about his remembrances of the 2005 NFL draft. What do you remember from 18 years ago when the Packers had a defensive need and yet Aaron Rodgers kept sliding and sliding and sliding. You know, he because he going into that week, he was not on the radar at all for the Packers. And it wasn't until the night before where I saw a mock draft, I can't even remember who did it. And I, Ted Thompson has, has referenced seeing, you know, one or two mock drafts on that Friday and he went back and watched film on him just to be sure that had the guy going to the Packers, had him dropping that far. So that kind of put him on the radar for the Packers, but you're still thinking, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, he's he's not going to get out of the top ten, is he? You know, 
And all of a sudden, it, get, it got closer and closer, and they kept showing the guy in the green room, you know, and the TV broadcast is on. You know, we're all out here, and the TV broadcast is on in the auditorium, and you can see how miserable it is for the guy to sit through all this. And, you know, when he took him, it was it was kind of a, it was close to as much of a shock as it was. I think the Jordan Love pick was a little more of a shocker mm-hmm. to me, but it was still kind of a whoa, that's, you know, really interesting. That's what I remember more than anything is just, wow, this is, uh, you know, they're taking a quarterback in the in the first round. And Favre had been talking about retiring since he was about 32. Mm-hmm. So I totally, I get why Thompson would do it, but it was still to actually see it happen. It was, you know, you just kind of, it was, you kind of said, whoa, what's going on? You know, this is, this is kind of a stunner. What did you know about Rodgers leading up to that draft? Because, Again, aside from that mock draft that had him sliding to 24, I didn't see that mock draft. You just didn't pay that much attention to him because you didn't think that it was going to happen here in Green Bay, I think. Yeah, that was, you know, like I was, I think I was still writing. Yeah, in fact, I know I was. I was writing draft series, you know, back then where I was talking to 15 scouts about the draft and I would do a story on each position and capsules on the top 10 players at each position. And with quarterbacks, I had just gotten into this mindset where the top, you know, the top guys, you know, they they had nothing to do with the Packers. Mm-hmm. So I do the capsules on them and talk to guys, but you know, I really wasn't paying that close attention. It was always what guy might they pick in the fifth or sixth or seventh round who, you know, to be a backup. Um, but I do remember, you know, the one thing is the anybody who's saying, you know. That quarterbacks, you know, aren't valued weren't weren't valued as much then as they are now. I mean, that's all revisionist history because there was a huge emphasis on quarterbacks mm-hmm. at that time. But there were real, there actually were real questions about the guy. There was the whole Tedford system thing with, I mean, Achilles Smith and um, uh, Trent Dilfer, and mm-hmm. I mean, there was the uh, Joey Harrington. Mm-hmm. I think there was Kyle Bowler. Yeah, Kyle Bowler was another like, one. Like, Four big time early first round pick busts at quarterback from who played for this guy. So there were legit questions about if there was something about his system and the way he cut the field in half for the quarterbacks and made it easy for him. There were real questions about whether Rodgers was good enough. And like he had, there was a game against USC where he had like 13 straight completions. But I remember talking to scouts about it. Like one of them was like they were all checkdowns. So mm-hmm. it was like he wasn't very impressed by it. So there were legit questions about him. And I think there are two things that people probably didn't know or the scouts didn't know or appreciate enough of him at the time. And one was I think his arm was a little better than they thought. And I also think it improved when he got here, I think, mm-hmm. working with in McCarthy's program and with Clements. His arm got stronger in those three years before he became a starter. But the other was his mobility and how good a thrower he was outside the pocket. I don't know that he did that much of that at Cal. It doesn't sound like he did. And that's the thing. That's the quality that sets him apart and what made him the special quarterback he was is that he could get out of the pocket and on the move, put the ball right on the money. And I don't think that showed up as much at Cal as it did once he got to the NFL. There were only six players that were invited to the NFL draft that year. Was it that few? I yeah. Didn't, I didn't realize that. I didn't remember that. Only six of them. Um, there were, you know, Braylon Edwards was one of them. Cedric Benson was another. Uh, Alex Smith, obviously, was another. Antrell Roll was the one lone defensive player. So the NFL thought that 
he was going to go pretty early because you don't put somebody in the green room that you think is going to last four hours. But if you look back on that draft, there were teams that had positional needs at quarterback. It wasn't just the 49ers. The Dolphins could have used a quarterback. The Browns could have used a quarterback. Do you have any idea as to why, whether it was Nick Saban or whether it was the Browns or when it was the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, why they kept passing on someone who the NFL, at least on some level, thought was going to be taken earlier? Yeah, and you know, when Gil Brandt is basically the one who spearheads that stuff. I spoke to Gil last week. He's a little bit under the weather, but yeah, yeah. I spoke to him about it. And, and he's basing, you know, he's not just going on his own evaluation. He's talking to teams, and so he's got that inclination that the guy's going to go from talking to mm-hmm. teams. And I know Gruden, you know, uh, uh, Rogers has said Gruden told them he was going to pick him, and mm-hmm. I think they picked like sixth or seventh, if right. I remember mm-hmm. right. And uh, Tadalak Williams, yeah. And so I think they were probably going to, and then for some reason they he just Gruden wasn't convinced. There were all these teams that had, you know, these quarterbacks who had a decent year, but they were guys in their early thirties, and they were, they were thinking, oh, this guy's pretty, this guy's good enough. And then the guy, you know, the next year the guy wasn't any good. I was guys like Chandler and I can't remember who else, you know, who were, mm-hmm. they, they thought, oh, yeah, he's, he's good enough. And, you know, two years later they're like, oh, what a terrible mistake. Um, so, I, you know, it, it made it kind of made sense, and that's why that, that mock drafter, you know, I think the explanation was like once he got out of the top ten, it was a bunch of teams that didn't need quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and that's why they hadn't fallen that far. I guess the surprise is – Somebody early in the second round didn't trade up into the first round. You know, if they didn't take him in the top ten, they didn't try to take him in the twenties. Um, you know, before the pack, before it got to the mm-hmm. Packers, there, it's a little probably a little surprise that nobody was willing to pay that. But you know, there was like I said, there were real questions about the guys. I mean, you know, I don't know what you thought at that time, but his rookie. Training camp, I just thought, well, this guy's going to be a career backup. Mm-hmm. Even his second year, I, you know, nothing. Third year in camp, was like, okay, he's getting better. And then he played that game against the Cowboys, like, well, maybe there's something here. And then after his first year, it's like, okay, this is this guy's good enough. But it it wasn't until, you know, late tw- 2009, really not till 2010, and really not till the playoffs of 2010, where I thought, oh, my gosh, this guy is really good. You can catch Tales from 1265, the fall of 12 to 24 in its entirety on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. In other words, wherever you got this podcast, you can listen to that podcast for the same amount of money as well. Absolutely free. That'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We will talk to you next time.